Hello, faithful ladies and gentlemen. My name is Ian Curtis, and I have the honor to serve as David's sophomore English teacher here in Glendale, Arizona. You are listening to the Westchester Church Podcast. Side note, David, I'll be listening to this, so please make use of parallel phrasing and strive for vibrancy in your word choice. Best of luck with this sermon. Make this old English teacher proud. she believed she was going to die after being brutally beaten, raped, and stripped of her clothing in Orlando's tourist district. It happened this morning in a field near International... ...onto an ICBM more powerful than the atomic bombs dropped by the U.S. in World War II. The blast cheered in the streets of North Korea. You see it there. A white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence and chaos. The images just coming in, a car plowing into a crowd of demonstrators protesting against those white nationalists. A 32-year-old four teens in our area took their own lives. Four young men from four different counties decided... We do have the breaking news of a shooting at an elementary school in Newtown, Connecticut. And you heard that right. It is unthinkable. An elementary school. Five officers were killed, seven other officers and two civilians. At least 58 people now dead. More than 500 people wounded in a horrific shooting on the Las Vegas Strip. It's the deadliest mass shooting in modern United States history. Well, that's the world that we woke up to this morning. It's the world that we've been waking up to for quite a long time, isn't it? Our world is very sick. And as this old expression goes, a good preacher has a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other hand. And yet I got to the point a long time ago where I couldn't even watch the, the news at night because uh, to watch the 10 o'clock news is to lapse into despair, I mean, on a nightly basis. I mean, our world is just starving for peace. I mean, just so overrun with chaos, and with hate, and with bloodshed, and with violence. And yet, on the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus addresses this, this vast multitude of people living under Roman occupation. In this time where if you were a Roman person, you were conquering everybody. You were, were stomping on every other neck of every other nation. And, and you're the ones who had peace, it seemed. But if you weren't so Roman and you were Jewish, you didn't exactly have peace. As the Beatitudes slowly begin to, to near their completion, Jesus says in Matthew 5 and verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. In the Jewish world, that word peace is known as shalom. And that word shalom is a very beautiful word. It means completeness. 
It means that you have a very strong quietness about you and that you are almost, it seems, always at rest. It is a peace that is so utterly peaceful that it is otherworldly in its peacefulness. Really, to have shalom is the greatest feeling in this world. It's that feeling that we get every now and then in life where we feel so so calm and so at peace that, that everything within us is like, ah, oh, because of how good that it feels. It's a person who's been working a job for, for four years now in a very toxic work environment. And for four years, they have felt depressed about this because they, they had no other job openings to really fall back on. And so they felt, felt trapped in this work atmosphere. But at last, another job is on the horizon, and now they can quit that job. And on the very last day, really, as they clock out for the very last time, and as they, they maybe go on a vacation somewhere, they are now laying out on the beach, and it really sets into their minds that, I'm never going to have to go work with those people ever again. Never again will I have to work in this place. And as they lay back in the sun, as they, they hear the waves on the beach rolling back and forth and crashing loudly, what washes over them is, ah. Oh. I discovered this just a week and a half ago. <laughs> Um, I dropped Amanda off at the airport in Philadelphia, and it was 3 o'clock in the morning, and I was driving right into a snowstorm. Now, I'm from Arizona, as you guys know. I lived in the Orlando area for, for many years, and I've never driven through a snowstorm before. But with 12 miles remaining until I got, got home, my lights all of a sudden fused out. And now I'm on the highway in complete darkness, sliding around. I don't know what lane I'm in. It's pouring snow. I get the high beams on, but it's even harder to see with the, the um, high beams on in the snow. But somehow, I drive 12 miles at like 9 miles an hour, sliding and slipping all over the place. But, but I finally pull the car in, there into the garage somehow. And once that door closed behind me and I locked its latch and I was now inside a house that was heated and I got under those um, hot electric covers and I mean, what washes over you is, ah, oh, I'm no longer out there. See, this is what it feels like to have shalom in our hearts and this is what Jesus came into this world to give us. This is what it means to have this kind of peace. But, but the incredible thing is about the peace which God gives us is that it is a peace far greater than we could ever imagine. Our wildest, most imaginative dreams can't even scratch the surface of what Jesus wants to accomplish as far as peace goes. It is a peace that, that, that reigns within us. Where just before Jesus goes to the cross, he lets his disciples know that, that very soon I'm going to be going away from you. You're not going to be able to actually see me anymore. And where I'm going, you cannot come. And so they're very, of course, distressed about this. And they're very worried about this. Yet he says that, that, that very soon I am going to send my Holy Spirit. He's going to teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. 
But this peace that I am giving to you, it is nothing at all like the peace that you can find in this world, as nice as that might be sometimes. It is not like the peace that you find in this world. And so do not let your hearts be troubled, nor allow your hearts to be in a fearful state. And yet I discover on an hourly basis, really, every day of my life, that the only time that we can live with this kind of shalom within us is you've got to go to the Prince of Peace for that. There's no other way that we can experience just this kind of peace that Jesus is speaking about here. And so what we see is that Jesus is our panic room. Jesus is a safe house. He is a city, a refuge that we can go to and serenely rest while all of the chaos and the pandemonium of this world rages every which way outside the walls and the windows of that safe house. It is a peace that he creates and designs within us, but, but more than anything, it is a peace that as Christians must be extended to this world in which we live. I believe it's the Apostle Paul who writes in his letter at Corinth about how Jesus has this ministry of reconciliation. And what he accomplishes in this ministry of reconciliation is that he takes two things, two things that have nothing in common whatsoever. And somehow, with his power and with his love, he combines those two things together until now they are one organism working and operating as if they were joined at the hip. Paul goes on in that, that letter in 2 Corinthians 5, and he says, now he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And here Jesus says, blessed are those who are peacemakers. And what Jesus has in mind, again, it is the essence of shalom. It is a freedom from psychological disturbance. It is an independence from any kind of worry. It's where we live in harmony with one another even after all of the horrible things that we've done to each other in time. And where this word shalom really gets very beautiful in its meaning and in its full color and texture is in the Jewish world, this, this really became a greeting where it was the way that you would say hello to your friend in the streets. And as you left them, it was the way that you said goodbye. And so shalom is the embodiment that, that as we come together, we come together in peace. And then as we leave and as we go our separate ways for the day or for the week, we are going our separate ways, but, but still we are one together. We are leaving each other in the essence of peace. Is that rather than viewing people by the labels that we as human beings have come up with, we view them through the lens of the love of Jesus Christ. When people insult us, and they will insult us, we swallow those insults and we ignore the venom that those insults were intended to inflict upon us. It's a person who can withstand all of the intimidation of the violence of our world, all of the injustices of the time. They are combating it, but, but in a way that, that is utterly nonviolent. These are people who absolutely love peace and who hate division and hatred and animosity. 
And so they are working with the power of God within them to extinguish the flames of hatred, of bigotry, of racism, of violence in our world that is so overrun and prevalent. And I'm reminded of what Isaiah the prophet says way before Jesus had been born in the manger. He, he writes in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 6, he speaks about what this world is going to be like when Jesus comes into it. He speaks very creatively and very much in a poetic fashion about what Jesus is going to accomplish. Where he writes that the wolf is going to dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. and the, the, He says that the calf and the young lion and the fatling will be together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Nursing children shall, shall play by the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall place his hand inside the viper's den, but they shall not hurt nor destroy in all of my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as is the waters cover the um, sea. And so what Isaiah is saying here, he's not literally speaking about literal cows and, and oxen and, and, and snakes and so forth, but rather what he is speaking about are two things that don't look anything like each other. Two things that do not belong together. I mean, just not supposed to be together. And yet now, somehow, they are living in harmony as one organism and as one being. But what I believe is coming to fruition in Christ in this way is that as Jesus gets here, there is separation between God and man. Whereas it says there are none who are righteous, no, not even one. But, but as Paul writes in Ephesians, Jesus now through his blood and through his cross, now he has taken us and God, two things that, that were far, I mean galaxies apart. And now he has brought us closely together in relationship with God. And consequently, as a result of that, in the first century, Jews and Gentiles had nothing to do with each other, hated each other, despised and spit on the ground that they would walk upon. But now, Acts chapter 10, Peter and Cornelius, Peter comes to this realization that, that, wait a minute, I now know that God is not one to show partiality, but rather he is a God who welcomes any nation, anybody to come who will give their lives to him. Now, all of a sudden, we see in the pages of Scripture, Jews and Gentiles loving each other as one church. Brothers and sisters, a family at last. And yet, in our world today, we see so many groups of people who, who don't look like each other, who, don't, who we think aren't supposed to be together. Young and old, a lot of times, is going to clash in the church. A lot of styles and generational approaches all of these labels that we throw so angrily upon each other, whether it's conservatives or it's liberals, yet we come into the church, and even though we may not ever agree 1,000% in a political way, we can agree 1,000% in the blood of Jesus Christ, bringing us together as one family who loves each other from the heart. He's bringing even the Hatfields and McCoys together 
Red Sox fans and Yankee fans. I mean, it's just crazy what Jesus is accomplishing with this thing called peace and with this thing called shalom. In these Beatitudes, Jesus is completely reordering our world. And he's saying, wait a minute, it's not the, those who are the most aggressive and the most violent, but actually it's those who are the most peaceful, who are the most blessed. But this is where it gets hard. Because when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, to be a maker of peace is something that is so dangerous. When Jesus said just about everything that he said in the gospel books, these were dangerous ideas at the time. And can we be honest? As Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, there is not one nation on the face of this earth in a political sense that would ever adopt that policy as national thought. Because our world is just so sick, as we've already established. It's just so lustful and so thirsty for, for power and for control and for superiority over all of the other nations and peoples. Our world has always operated under this dichotomy that that peace only comes through violence and through bloodshed. The old axioms say, well, we've got to fight fire with fire. We've got to kill or we will be killed. And so we, we draw all of these lines in the sand. Blacks over here, whites over here, conservatives over here, liberals over there. And we just have all of these lines drawn in the sand, which are promoting hatred and separation and division. See, this business of peacemaking is a dangerous thing because if we were to just remember only a few of the people who have tried even tried to bring peace into this world we see what has happened to them i think about a man whose name is elijah lovejoy presbyterian minister absolutely opposed to the idea of slavery way before the civil war i mean this guy was radical at the time white guy against slavery and so what happened to him he was murdered by a pro-slavery mob in 1837. And the newspapers in that locality didn't even report that they had killed him in that way. It was very hush-hush. I think about a woman whose name is Jane Haining who rescued Jewish children during the um, Holocaust. And she gave them a house of refuge in her basement where she fed them and had a warm bed for them all to sleep in. Well, the SS officers learn about this and they throw them as well as her herself into Auschwitz, where she died of starvation in 1944. I think about a man whose name is Oscar Romero. He was a Catholic priest. He was an advocate and a champion for the homeless and against all kinds of social injustices. That is until he was assassinated in El Salvador in 1980. I think about Gandhi, assassinated in 1948, MLK, assassinated in 1968, X, assassinated in 1965, JFK, assassinated in 1963, RFK, assassinated in 1968. By far the greatest and most radical image of a peacemaker that we've ever seen in this world. We've seen the Prince of Peace come into this world, and what happened to him? Let's kill him. 
Scribes and Pharisees wanted to destroy him, the text says. And yet the aspect that I forget all the time about his crucifixion that is most moving is that even though my sins nailed him to that cross, there is a much broader sense where, where he willingly, John chapter 10, laid down his own life for the sheep. Matthew chapter 27, I give up my spirit on the cross. And yet, what happens to anybody who tries to, to make peace in this world? This is what happens right here, right between the eyes. This world is just not ready for any kind of peacemaking in the way that, that, that Christ Jesus has in mind. We look at his apostles, and only one of those men died at an old age. All the rest of them, in addition to all these people we have seen, and so many more we don't have time to list, they died violent, bloody primitive deaths and what was their crime they wanted to inflict peace on a world of war peacemaking will get you killed jesus is creating a far more beautiful world than was there when he came and yet he's letting us know very soon in the sermon on the mount that there's going to be resistance to this if you want to bring color into a black and white world, if you want to bring love into a world of pure hatred and abhorrence, there is going to be resistance to this. And the thing about peacemaking is that oftentimes, as we've all experienced, I'm sure, a lot of times peacemaking is a one-way street, isn't it? And I find it so interesting just how enormous a chunk of the Sermon on the Mount is strictly about how we as Christ followers can respond really in a healthy way to conflict. It might be half of the Sermon on the Mount is just about conflict resolution. And so you might have a question this morning. Well, what if I am having conflict and that person is my worst enemy, and they're toxic, and they, you know, all they want to do is hurt me. We will get to that later on in the series. Or another person might say, well, what if I'm having conflict with a person I go to church with? And very soon we will get to that in the series. Another person might be thinking, well, well what if the person I am having conflict with is the person who sleeps on the other side of the bed with me? And that is going to happen to every single marriage. I don't care how strong your marriage is, that's going to happen. And yet we will get to that very soon in the series as well. Just very quickly, next week what we're going to see, on the very last of the Beatitudes, we're going to see Jesus informing us that when we choose to follow after the Prince of Peace, when we choose to adopt his lifestyle as our own, man, you better get a seatbelt, all fastened, because there's going to be hostility coming our way. There's going to be so much opposition and tension coming our way. And yet, as we speak for just a few more moments about being a peacemaker, though, where my mind especially went this week was to the manger as Jesus is born. We remember how an angel had informed men that, that this is going to be the sign to you, that you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And it says, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the, or of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, 
and goodwill towards man. It's a people who had been starving, salivating for shalom kind of peace. And now Jesus is here. And now what they are, are all proclaiming is that now our peace has come. And yet here is what our challenge is in this, in this beatitude. Is that the angels lauded and announced Jesus' birth as the arrival of peace on earth and goodwill t- towards humanity. In the Beatitudes, Jesus lauds and he announces that now we are the ones who are to bring peace on earth. And we are the ones who are to implement goodwill to man wherever it is that we will roam. What Jesus is saying, in other words, when he says, Blessed are the peacemakers is that my followers are going to be men and women who will be known for their peace. My churches with which are to very soon come are to be churches and beacons of peace in a world of darkness and of war. In a world of hate, we as the church have been designed and intended by God to be the peace department in the world where we live. We're the peace department. And yet the struggle is we are human beings and we resist this, I think, a lot of times. I don't think the world has been seeing and and receiving the peace department from the church for a long time. I mean, how many wars have been started because of religion? How many of us in this room have been a part of a church many years ago that, that had once loved each other but then had a division? And then the one became two, or maybe even three or four. I remember many years ago hearing about a group of Christians who went to an abortion clinic. And they were outraged about abortion. And I say amen to that. Abortion is one of the most darkest, most primitive things in our world today. It is unspeakably heartbreaking. They were rightfully outraged about this. They wanted to do something about it, which which also I am on board with 1,000%. And yet where their rage took them, though, was to place a bomb inside that abortion clinic and to detonate it while people were inside of it. Now, all of a sudden, that Christian has become a terrorist. That is not the peace department. That is not shalom, peace. And I read a a quote by a theologian named Richard Rohr, and he says things that are hard for us as Americans to read, and yet it's very challenging. He says that American Christians supported the killing of 200,000 people in Iraq during the Persian Gulf War, and they still dare to call themselves pro-life. War is a means of seeking control, not a means of seeking peace. Violence will always create more violence. But one thing you cannot call Jesus is a patriot. Jesus is naming a far bigger world. And if we are truly pro-life, then our very means have to be non-violent, as Jesus is. And he continues and he says, One of the most distressing qualities of Christians today is that they retain the right to decide when, where, and with whom they will be pro-life peacemakers. At the extreme end, if the other can be determined wrong, guilty, unworthy, or not innocent, it is apparently acceptable to kill them. 
He says life is created by God and carries the divine image. Let's be fundamental about that. It is a spiritual setting far beyond left or right. And I know that as countries, it's very, it's very much a complex thing. There are bombs. There are, are nuclear devices. There, there is war. It is inevitable, it seems like. And yet, as it pertains to the Christian nation, I, I have been so uncomfortable before when I see men like Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden you know, executed. And the things coming from Christians is just rejoicing glee that that person is dead. We can be rejoicing that they can never hurt anybody ever again. I, you know, I would rejoice with that. But to hear Christians calling people slurs, I'm so glad that blankety-blank got what was coming to him. I mean, I watched Saddam Hussein walking to the gallows, and I, had, I was choking back tears. Because even though he did all of those horrible things, took so many lives, I mean, it's a soul who is dying. And he is awaiting an eternal destination. I mean, my heart breaks for that. He says life is created by God and it carries the divine image. If we're going to be pro-life, I mean, we've got to be pro-life. I mean, pro, I mean really pro-life. Jesus has made us his peace department. But we're the peace department, but we are not the world's police department. Huge difference between those two. He does not want us force-feeding Christianity down people's throats who aren't ready for it yet. He doesn't want us expecting, you know, wondering why the world won't just wake up tomorrow morning and all of a sudden start operating as if they were the church. I mean, Rome is going to act like Rome. We're not supposed to be the world's police department. We're supposed to be God's peace department. Well, Mercedes makes fine cars. Dunkin' Donuts makes coffee and donuts. If you want a diamond necklace, you go to Tiffany's. And yet Jesus is saying that when the world looks at the church, they should be able to recognize those are the peace people. Those are the people who create and who make peace and who want peace wherever it is that they're going to go. I just want to go back to that meaning of the word shalom, which is just, just that feeling like, ah, oh, where the world can, can look at us and say that, that I always thought that the church hated this group of people, but now I see the love of Jesus. And it just feels like this right here. Ah. Oh. As I think about all of the problems in this world, as I remember all of the ways that man can be so cruel to each other, as I think about all of the divisions in this world in a political sense, in a religious sense, I, I just feel so overwhelmed sometimes. And yet whenever I remember what Paul said to the church at Colossae, let the peace of Christ reign in your hearts. I clear my mind, and that's the only thing, and his cross is the only picture in my mind. And I, and I come to a church service like this, people of all kinds of political persuasions, people who don't look like each other, people of all kinds of ages, but 
But what washes over me, though, is I begin feeling overwhelmed by the world, but then I come in here and I, I start spending time with you guys and I just feel like, ah. Oh. There is a city of refuge in this world. There is a safe house. There is a panic room. And it is the peace of God experienced within His church. Within, as He says, lastly, His sons and daughters. If we want to be a son and a daughter of Jesus Christ, this is how it's done, Jesus says. It's those who make peace. It's those who love peace. See, in other words, nobody is more like God than when they step into a hostile situation where there's conflict. And they meet that conflict head on, but they do so in a way that just breeds peace and warmth inside that room. We resemble God when we live that way. You know that? I've been told before that I have my father's face. And as you can see in that picture with, with, with my dad, I also have his crazy wit and sense of humor. He has hair curlers in his hair. And yet I've also heard many times as well that I have my mother's heart. I've been told before that, that David, you are your mother's son to a T. And that feels good. And yet the greatest feeling in this world of shalom is when people who don't even know who we are, who are just getting to know us, don't yet know that we go to church, but, but who have a feeling, and they say that I can see Jesus in you. Or they ask us a question, are you a Christian? Because there's just something about you that, that you just have this strange peace and security and happiness about you that, that I want for myself. And when we follow God in this way, we will become peacemakers. And I remember many years ago in the old, old church in Arizona, I remember we would sing this song called Peace, Perfect Peace. And every stanza of the song was written as a question. And it said, peace, perfect peace. In this dark world of sin... The blood of Jesus whispers peace within. Then it says peace, perfect peace, with sorrow surging all around. On Jesus' bosom, nothing but calm is found. Peace, perfect peace, with our future still unknown. Jesus, we know, and he is seated on the throne. Peace, perfect peace, death shadowing us and ours. Jesus has vanquished death and all of its powers. Then it culminates and it says that it is enough. Earth's struggle soon shall cease. And Jesus calls us to heaven's sweet and perfect peace. And yet for all of us who are here this morning, we might be wondering, peace, perfect peace. When I turn on the news and it's nothing but, but violence and rapings and war. Peace, perfect peace. When I am drowning in depression. Peace, perfect peace. When I've got money problems and mountains of unpaid bills that are overdue. Peace, perfect peace. When, when my children can't find a job and they are, are, are struggling with, with all kinds of horrible struggles in their life. Peace, perfect peace. When, when I'm having conflict with my father or mother 
when my spouse doesn't want to sleep in the same bed with me, when a former friend of mine wants nothing more to do with me for the rest of their life, whatever it might be in our minds. Peace, perfect peace when this world is more divided than it has ever been before. We can still hear that song saying, the blood of Jesus whispers peace, peace within. So maybe what we need to do this week is have a conversation. Is there a conversation that you and I need to initiate with a person who we're not exactly on good, good speaking terms with? Maybe it's a letter that we need to write where we feel a lot more safer. Whether it's a one-way street or there's actually peace, we might be surprised at what happens. And yet I think most helpfully, the way that we can become more in tune as peacemakers is maybe we just need to change the way that we wake up in the morning. I mean, I mean that. When was the last time you woke up in the morning thinking, the only thought on your, your mind was, I want to be a peacemaker today. I've never done that in my life. I don't know about you, but I think we woke up this morning thinking, well, I need to get a shower. I need to have breakfast. I need to grab an umbrella and go to church, and that's good. Yet what would happen in our lives if we woke up every single morning thinking, I want to be a peacemaker today? If every single red light that we came to a stop to, rather than complaining about it, we thought and we recited to ourselves, whispering, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. If every single room that we stepped into this week, we, we had thought, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let that cease. Jesus is our peace, we read in Scripture. And now he's saying, oh Christian, take that peace of mind into your broken relationships. Take that peace into this fractured, broken, sad world. And wherever we roam, let it be said of us, peace on earth and goodwill towards man. Ian Curtis Ian Curtis Ian Curtis 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 Peace on earth and goodwill towards man Curtis 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 Curtis, Curtis.